Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that every step we've taken to draw nearer to you has been your work in our life. And so we ask you yet again, Lord, to pour your spirit upon us so that in this moment we can be close to you and feel your presence. In your name we pray. I don't know about you all, but COVID has heightened my feelings of insecurity and shame. You might have heard the joke, the COVID 20 pounds of weight gain. I can attest it's a true thing, and I've been having a fight against it. Not only do I feel the pressure of competing against the people around me, but now that everything's gone on the internet, I feel like I have to compete with the whole world. And all this time of self-reflection has meant some painful, bitter memories and opening of some old wounds. This is definitely a season. And you would think that with all of these insecurities, it would at least keep me humble. But as this powerful quote suggests, shame is not the opposite of pride, but its source. That is a fact because I feel insecure and shameful that I feel I need to defend myself by using the pride of comparing myself to others. By deceiving myself and trying to convince me that, well, at least I'm better than those other people. You know, I know I'm a mess, but I can justify why I'm broken, unlike those other people. And yes, I'm a sinner, but at least my sin isn't as abhorrent looking as those people's sin. If you don't believe this is true, I can show you on Sunday morning where I see someone doing this. Next time you see me sitting with you in the congregation, take a glance over me at the sermon. Sometimes you'll see me, I'll do this nudge to the person beside me with a big grin on my face. And that translates to, the preacher's not talking about me, he's talking about you. We love to cover our shame by being self-righteous and prideful. In Brent Hansen's new book, The Truth About Us, he shares social psychology after social psychology experiment that proves that we like to think of ourselves as above average. We like to think we're more moral than the average person. We like to think we're better drivers than the average person. And here's the kicker. We like to think that we're more humble than the average person. As Brant writes, you might think with all of this awesomeness, we might have an ego problem, but good news, we also rate ourselves as more modest than others. Shame does not make us immune from pride, but is a thing that feeds into it, that fuels us to want to be superior to others. It is only by recognizing that in my own brain, I can be super insecure and also super self-righteous and prideful that I can better relate and understand Jonah. Let's be honest, from our perspective, it's really easy to see Jonah's sin. This is a man who heard God's audible voice and then went in this direction as he was told. This is the man who, in his time of distress, goes to God 
and God delivers him, only to find him mad at God for doing the same thing to others. Jonah is the kind of man who, at best, begrudgingly obeys God, and at worst, does the opposite thing. And as he stands there, saying he does well to be angry at God, and judging the people of Ninevites as inferior to him, I want us to remind ourselves that when we try to make ourselves look superior to others, we look no differently than Jonah. Here are the three points that I want us to discuss as we go through this text. One, we are not entitled to our relationship with God. Two, God pursues both Ninevites and the Jonahs of this world. And finally, when we are called to love our enemy, we are called to bring them hope. So this first part teaches us about humanity. We are not entitled to God's, our relationship with God. And to better understand the complex relationship that Jonah had with the Ninevites, I'm going to tell you about a complex relationship that I have with two dogs. The first dog, her name is Kaylee, and she was the first dog that was ever added to my family. And I know that as a puppy, she caused some stress. She ate all of our things. She would run away into the alligator-infested lagoons. And, of course, she shedded. But after 15 years of being a beloved member of our family, I feel like she deserves every ounce of honor and respect my family has for her. But Kaylee sadly passed away last year. And so now my mom has added a new dog into the picture. Her name is Coco. And my mom adores Coco. And my mom treats Coco as if she has all the same honor and rights and privileges that Kaylee has as being a part of our family. My mom affectionately calls her my sister. She gives her nice toys and blankets and beds and treats. And I know this is a beautiful thing, because what this shows is that my mom realizes she can equally love Kaylee and this new dog, Coco. But I, I won't lie, I'm a little bitter, because after 15 years of Kaylee being my dog, I feel like she deserves a little bit more honor a little bit more respect than this new dog who's trying to get into the picture. If any of that story resonates with you, then you can understand Jonah and his relationship with the Ninevites. Because in the Bible, the Jonahs, the Jewish people, are the Kaleys of the story. They are the first people that the owner of the vineyard calls to work in his field. You see, God goes to Abraham and says that you and your children will be my people and I will be your God. It's not because Abraham deserved it. It was purely a gift of grace. But God said that you and Jewish people will be my chosen people throughout the world. And I bet you can imagine that year after year, generation after generation, those Jewish people 
not all of them, but some of them, started to show signs of entitlement that they deserve after all of these years to be God's chosen people. And that's when the Bible throws the cocos of the Bible into the story. The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. You see, the Gentiles are the second workers who after the end of the day are told you can become a part of this kingdom and this field. God says to the non-Jewish people that you can be my children, beloved just like the Jewish people were. Can you not imagine how the Israelites must have felt? How the Jonas must have felt when these new people came into the scene? At the very least, I imagine I would feel that I deserve a little bit more honor. It's one thing to treat them better. It's another thing to say they're equal as God's chosen children. And that is the bitterness that Jonah has when God says, go to this Gentile nation, the Ninevites. And it's not only them being Gentiles, these are the worst of the worst Gentiles, whose sin is so abhorrent, the whole world knows of it. And listen to Jonah's complaint. He says, God, you are gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. No, you didn't hear me wrong. The thing that we praise and glorify God for is the same thing that Jonah here is complaining. Because he knows it is those exact characteristics of God that could take people as broken and messed up as the Ninevites and, say, and have them become redeemed and be a part of God's family. And we get the irony because Jonah is just as messed up as they are. Jonah is the one who, as he went the opposite direction, found himself where he should be, excuse my French, literally fish poop lying in the ocean floor, and yet by the grace of God, he stands here. And what does he do with that grace? He is anger and bitter that God will share that mercy to others. And when we are angry at God, when we look at other people as inferior to us, then we look just like him. So let's take a moment. I want you to picture in your head the kind of person you dislike the most. That kind of person who rubs you the wrong way, who embodies all of your pet peeves, the kind of person you and your friends like to make fun of or make posts about on Facebook, the kind of person who you have written off as a lost cause. This is the Ninevites. And this story is about how God says even people like them have the hope that God can transform them and bring him a part of our Christian family. And we have to show them the hope that they can be loved by God and be loved by us. Because we know that they are no different than us. That every step in the right direction is a gift from God. I love how St. Augustine puts it. He says in this humble prayer, Lord, see your work in me, not my own. For if you see my own work, you condemn me. But if you see yours, you crown me. Whatever my good works are, they come from you. And therefore are more yours than mine. Again, like Jonah, every step in the right direction has been 
a work of God. So we must hope that people can catch up, we can be as close to God as we are, because God work in their lives as well. Which brings me to my next point, which teaches us about God, um, about God's character. That is, God pursues both the Ninevites and the Jonahs of the world. Because really, when you look at the Jonah, you can see these two extremes of sin. You have the Ninevites. They're kind of the woman at the well kind of people. They're the people whose sin is kind of public, who's kind of abhorrent on the outside. The people we kind of feel disgusted with. We can't undermine the fact that the Ninevites are a messed up group of people, so much so that God says that their evil has gone to his sights, right? They're so bad that God says that if they do not change their ways, he is going to destroy them. They are a wicked, evil people. And yet it is also these kind of people that God sends a messenger to, to tell them that they have a chance of repenting and returning to God. And these people hear a single man come to them who tells them that the authority of God, they have to change their entire lifestyles. And instead of scoffing at this man, instead of hardening their hearts and continuing the lifestyle they were living, they humbly repented. They changed their lives. This reminds us that no matter how far a person seems, no matter how broken it looks like they are on the outside, there is no way that God cannot pursue them and change their life. But this story also reminds us that God pursues the arrogant. Because Jonah represents the Pharisaic kind of person. The kind of person who doesn't think of him as sick, but better than others. The person who gets mad at even God when he doesn't get his way. And yet the story is about even though Jonah disobeys God and finds himself in the belly of a whale, God still goes to Jonah and says, I still want to use you. You still have a plan and purpose in my kingdom. Even at the end there, where we see Jonah angry, stewing bitterness in his heart towards God, we see God still asking him questions, still working his life to help him grow. Even the arrogance of Jonah is not enough to prevent God from pursuing him. And I'll be honest, I have been very lead by this passage because I have seen a lot of Jonah in me. I don't know about you all, but yes, when I go on social media right now, there have been posts that just make my blood boil. The kind of posts that I want to comment, and I start commenting like a paragraph-long response, and fortunately, by the grace of God, I decide not to send. The kind of times where, like, I hit the unfollow button, like, my mouse is hovering over that unfollow button, just a little bit longer than I'd like to admit. And I would love to, right now, use my chance to be on a pedestal here and tell you why I don't like those posts. But more importantly, I want to share with you, I don't like myself as I think about how I respond to them. Because in those moments, in my self-righteous anger, I like to want the world to know I'm the hero of the story, I know what's true and good, and I can fix you because I'm right and you're wrong. Look, I know my wickedness, I know my sin, and I have no authority to tell a bunch of people that their, their Facebook personas are inferior to mine. 
It is in these moments where I see my own pride really come up to the surface that I am so, so grateful that God doesn't wipe his hands even from obnoxious, arrogant, prideful people. That God still is helping me grow and is still choosing to use me up on this pulpit and hopefully today at youth group as well. That even my pride isn't enough for God to stop pursuing me. Which brings me to my final point. Leaving us with how do we apply God's character in our own life and that is a part of loving our enemies means bringing them hope. Remember earlier I asked you to picture the kind of people that you dislike the most, who kind of rubs you the wrong way? Well, we need to make sure that in every action, in every word, even with our body language, we communicate to others that they have hope, that God has a place for them to be a part of our church family. And one way to do this is simply by reminding ourselves that every person has human dignity and value. Unlike Jonah, who shows more compassion on a vine, he shows more compassion on a plant than 120,000 people made in God's image, we need our interactions to remind people that they're valued, that they're cared about, and they have potential to be used in God's kingdom. We need to look at others as if they might be the next Paul, the man who was so against God, and yet when he was touched by his mercy, transformed the Christian world as we know it. It's interesting, but there's a part of the argument where God talks about the cattle. And what's going on there is he is reminding us that when God saved the Ninevites, he's not only just showing them mercy, he's showing the world mercy. Because God knows the potential that when the Ninevites turn from their ways and that they start following the kingdom of God, they become a blessing to the people, to the animals and nature, to everything that they come in contact with. They bless. When we show mercy and love our enemies and God transforms them, we're actually doing ourselves a service because God is going to use them to bless others. It may even be ourselves. We need to rejoice in the victories of others. We need to not be like Jonah, who's mad that people repented, but instead we need to come alongside the angels who are said to rejoice when one sinner repents. We are called... Hold on one second, sorry, you guys. We are called to be so focused in on God's kingdom that when we see his moving in somebody's life, we are there to come alongside him to water those seeds. We are called to participate in God's kingdom and bring them hope. But not only do we water seeds, we also plant them. And the way we do that is we follow God's example by pursuing them. And let's be honest, if there is ever an example of someone who pursues people, it is our very own Father Craig over here. I can tell you example after example when I look at a database and I say, look, Father Craig, I've been here five years now. I have never seen this person in my entire life. Can we please just stop sending them emails? And Father Craig always tells me, but Andrew, what if this is the moment? 
What if this is the opportunity that God chooses to use that brings them to be a part of our church family? And I would not be surprised if there's somebody listening to this sermon who has been a benefactor of the fact that God has used Father Craig's persistent pursuing heart to bring people to know him better. So we need to be a light in this world that in every one of our interactions with others, we remind them that we were never entitled to our relationship with God, which means God can pursue you. And if God can pursue you, if God could love someone like the Ninevites, if God could love a person like Jonah, if God could love people like us, he certainly can love anybody else. But I want to point one more point before I close. Because I wrote this sermon and it beat me up a little bit. Because I saw more of Jonah than I like to acknowledge. So for those of you who felt a little bit more like Jonah than you'd like to admit, I want to remind you the end of this. The end of this story is God asking Jonah a question. It's God taking one more moment of reminding Jonah that he wants him to grow and see more of God's loving character. It is God asking Jonah one more time to repent and turn from his ways. The story ends with God reminding Jonah that he is still pursuing him and wanting him to grow. And so let us be thankful that God is still pursuing people like us and helping us to grow as well. Lord be with you. Dear Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge um, that we can be prideful and sinners, and thank you for not giving up on us. As you show us mercy, I hope we too are quick to show mercy. I know this is a season that makes it difficult, but with your help, we can try and we can do better. In your very precious name we pray.